0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the stoush over an international spy club that's turned ugly. China has warned New Zealand and its Five Eyes allies that it risks having its eyes poked out.
1: Following last week's criticism of the superpower by the intelligence agency, Five Eyes. It's a very clear statement from a, a group of very powerful countries uh, that directly contradicts China's position on Hong Kong. At a five eyes statement signed by New Zealand, which declared Hong Kong's autonomy and freedom of speech had been eroded by its giant neighbour.
0: Its foreign minister saying no matter whether they have five eyes or ten eyes, as long as they dare to harm China's sovereignty... They should beware of their eyes being poked and blinded. The Five Eyes Alliance is gradually becoming like a mafia organisation. Not helped by rising tensions between China and Australia.
1: repugnant post made today of an image, a falsified image, of an Australian soldier threatening a young child with a knife. A post made on an official Chinese government Twitter account is truly repugnant. It is deeply offensive.
0: We look at how this exclusive network of the US, UK, Canada, Australia and New Zealand has evolved from a surveillance agency to a political tool.
1: The world is ripe for intelligence playing a broader role and it's just not sustainable for governments to not talk about it. You kind of have to.
0: But is the cost to New Zealand's independence and its relationship to China too high?
1: What New Zealand doesn't want is a situation where there's an expectation anywhere in Beijing or in Washington or in, or in Canberra, that any time there's interest somewhere in a Five Eyes statement on China or something else that New Zealand can be guaranteed will, will be part of that.
0: I'm talking to Robert Ason, Professor of Strategic Studies at Victoria University.
1: 30 years ago, I was part of the New Zealand um, intelligence community, uh, very briefly. And I guess in studying New Zealand's relations with its partners and allies, the Five Eyes dimension comes up from time to time. But I guess a bit like you, it's it's really only recently that I've started to really taken interest particularly in terms of the way that Five Eyes is being used almost as a diplomatic community for New Zealand to be part of with its four other partners and so it's intersected with my world a bit more in the last few years. You know when John Key said a few years ago that New Zealand's participation in, in Iraq with the trainers was the price of the entry to the club. New Zealand has to take a view doesn't it really? I mean ultimately um, are we going to say that we are going to sort of be part of a club a bit like we are with Five Eyes and intelligence? I think that was a sign of things, things to come. And we do know that um, when it comes to the United States and Canada and Australia and Great Britain and others that we can't rely on them if we don't have the resources to fly someone out, out of a particular country if there's a problem or support our citizens, others will. And I think... Um, if you're going to take that view, then you can't say when the going gets tough, you're just going to leave it to the other guys. I think even if the contribution is small, of course it'll be proportional. There has to be some contribution. It's the price of the club.
0: And actually that is the very area that I want to get into, and, you know, John Key's description of it as right. a club. But can I just go back? What You say that you were part of the intelligence community. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: When I came back from Australia after my master's degree... My first real job was to join what was then the External Assessments Bureau and is now called the National Assessments Bureau, which is part of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. So I was there for about a year and a half.
0: Oh, what does that involve?
1: It was looking at other countries. It was looking at regional trends. So I was in the South Pacific Division. One of my reports, early reports, was on the spread of HIV-AIDS in in the South Pacific. Another was actually on forestry. And so basically it was providing informed assessments to to government ministers and to to officials.
0: And did you Mm. have any kind of exposure to Five Eyes back then?
1: Not really. You just hear it come up. But in those days, people didn't talk about some of the things that are now widely talked about. So, for example, it's just unthinkable that another organisation like GCSB would have, a, would have the public profile that it does now. I mean, it has a website.
0: That's right. Our spy agency, the Government Communications Security Bureau, Te Tira Te Aki, has a website. And it has a slogan, if New Zealand has secrets worth stealing, then they're worth protecting.
1: It talks about five eyes. So the fact that you have GCSB with a public profile talking about five eyes is a is a completely world apart in terms of the public dimension of the discussion of intelligence issues. <laughs> I grew up in a much more cautious world, and in fact, in, in any media commentary over the last you know several years, I've always been very cautious on intelligence matters, partly because I'm never quite sure what my obligations are still to the commitments I made when I became part of that organisation.
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah, I wondered how much inf- how much you. Could talk about it now because, in the traditional talk of spies and things, that mm. they have to keep it secret for the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, I think. And the part of the intelligence community I was in, you know, I would be spending my days reading, you know, newspapers from, from, from Pacific countries, <laughs> for example. But you, you know, for those sorts of positions, you have to have a security clearance, but also you do have a commitment. And that's one of the ways that Five Eyes, the community, tries to, to safeguard itself is that there is a, a level of trust that each of the five participants believes that the other four will safeguard the material that they exchange. And that's a very intimate and close relationship going back decades. And that's the type of relationship of trust that is is quite rare in international politics. And it's one of the reasons that the, the Five Eyes, the intelligence dimension in particular, remains really quite, quite unique and quite special.
0: We're hearing more and more and more about Five Eyes. In fact, its origins go right back to the post-World War II period.
1: Yeah, and and further than that, in fact, they go back to the Second World War with the very close cooperation between the British and the the Americans, that transatlantic cooperation, which had a very significant intelligence dimension for the winning of the war. And so you had this UK-USA agreement signed in 1946, which basically committed both um, countries, to exchanging information on what we now call signals intelligence. And New Zealand and Australia joined that agreement in '56, and by that stage, Canada had already joined. Basically, it is about a group, small group of countries who are talking about common adversaries, common threats, common risks that they have an interest in. That's, I think, the first kind of ring of five eyes. I think there are three rings, and I think we've seen the other two become more obvious in the last few years. The second one really is the growth of wider policy areas, including things like customs, police, law enforcement, attorneys general. There's a Five Eyes ministerial meeting that New Zealand ministers regularly attend uh, and that can range from things like cyber security, emerging trends, to things like cooperation against people smuggling and those sorts of issues. And the third ring is the one that the newspapers are full of, which is in a sense the way that Five Eyes has increasingly been used as a, as a diplomatic community, as a way of talking about issues of, of common concern. But because Five Eyes symbolises and connects us back to that original commitment of intelligence cooperation for thinking about common adversaries, it's easy to see why countries on the other end of Five Eyes' uh, statements are going to take some umbrage from time to time. I think one of the things that really has changed the map as well was was the post-9-11 period from al-Qaeda through to ISIS the focus of, of intelligence agencies and, and other agencies of, of trying to think about those common non state actor problems. And then increasingly though we're getting we're seeing this drawn into this, this contest right. between the United States and China.
0: Audrey Young, the political mm. editor mm. of the Herald. She is mm. calling it the quiet evolution of the five eyes network into a political vehicle without public debate.
1: I'd agree with part of that. I think Governments are not denying that meetings are happening. The, the Five Eyes ministerial meeting that I talked about, they've been publicised. After decades of secrecy, members of the Five Eyes intelligence network are coming in from the cold, prepared to at least tell the world that they are having meetings and revealing something of the agenda. The Attorney General, Chris Finlayson, attended a meeting in London last week with ministers in charge of spy agencies in the US, Britain, Australia and Canada. A communique issued after the meeting said ministers agreed to work together to fight violent extremism, including developing a strategy to counter the use of the internet and social media by extremists. It's just that probably not enough of us in the in the broader debate sphere have taken this up and said, do we really want to do this? And perhaps not enough oppositions in parliaments have said, are we really sure we want to do this? But I think it's a quiet step-by-step evolution and certainly not one big swinging agreement. But if, obviously, it's not just evolving naturally, it, it's evolving as the U.S. has sorted as a way of broadening its its competition with China.
0: More on that U.S. competition with China, but let's look at some of the famous people that Five Eyes has spied on. Charlie Chaplin, Nelson Mandela, Jane Fonda, John Lennon, Princess Diana, and, of course, New Zealand's big case, Kim Dotcom. Now, it's been almost nine years since Kim Dotcom's mansion was stormed and he was arrested, in a massive FBI copyright infringement investigation. And don't forget the Edward Snowden saga. Even New Zealand was dragged into it.
1: New Zealand intelligence services have been implicated in the use of dirty cyber tactics in documents released by the American whistleblower Edward Snowden. But I think we're seeing perhaps a more sustained sense. In 2018, for example, as well, New Zealand's big defence statement that Ron as defence minister launched, it talked about the Five Eyes relationship as a cornerstone of New Zealand's defence relations in ways that we haven't seen recently and we, I don't think we've really seen before. And so it's almost as if New Zealand was defining aspects of its defence policy, including the defence capabilities that it might seek to go for in a Five Eyes context.
0: And then there's Huawei, the Chinese telecoms giant. ASIN calls it a crunch issue.
1: It's a crunch issue for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is because there was this implied notion that if you were a Five Eyes member and you valued that membership, the US was was suggesting to you that if that you really ought to come on board and ban Huawei and that there were no kind of middle ground options here. And I think one of the things that made Huawei difficult was you did have these genuine concerns about what information might be available to the Chinese government vis-a-vis a Chinese company. But the second thing is that the U.S. is conducting a kind of a broader technological con- competition with China, in which case it's not just about security. This is about the U.S. saying we don't want China to take the lead in information technology. And one way of doing that is to shut out Chinese telecommunications companies. We've seen more and more of that in recent in recent months. And so in that sense, it was never only just a security issue. It was part of this great power competition. And there's only so much of that great power competition that New Zealand would want to be part of, and therefore I think finding a middle ground on Huawei, and I think New Zealand kind of ended up there by basically saying, well, we won't agree to that particular bid from Spark, which includes Huawei, but we have not issued ever a blanket ban on Huawei, it's just that it's kind of ended up that Huawei's not involved. There's still difference amongst the community on that, but it doesn't mean that that community. No longer has common concerns about what might happen if another country seeks access to really important uh, commercial or official information. Yeah, you know? and so I think that's one of the dangers of bringing this, bringing Five Eyes out into the into the public, is that it becomes this kind of point of leverage, and I think that's unfortunate.
0: Why is it that it is much more public now?
1: I, I think there are a couple of answers to that question, Sharon, and I think one is is events. You know, if if you go back to some of the less celebrated features of our of our last twenty years, you know, in international politics and the way the United States sought to use intelligence. Arguments for the support for the 2003 invasion of Iraq. The role of intelligence in so many of these international security issues, whether it's North Korea's nuclear nuclear program or Iran's nuclear program, whether it's what ISIS is doing in terms of the relationships between followers, between um, foreign fighters. What are China's uh, relationships with cyber hackers, and how are they targeting U.S. and other? private and public sector institutions and organizations. The intelligence dimension is very important. And it's hard, it's a bit like not being able to talk about what the special forces do. And I think the second thing is the Snowden stuff illustrates how much, given the the information technology capabilities that leading states now have, how much potential data can be collected, there is huge scope there. And that's partly because of where also where the private sector has taken this thing. So people who have who have seen that social dilemma film will have a sense of that in terms of some of the social media companies and what their logarithms and analytics seem to be able to do. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing what they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you the world is ripe for intelligence playing a broader role and it's and it's just not sustainable for governments to not talk about it you kind of have to but the second thing is that governments are using it for you know political purposes the US China competition. If it is a new Cold War, I'm not entirely sure it is, but if it is, you'd have to say the information technology, intelligence dimension of it is a very, very significant and increasingly prominent part. So it's kind of the the environment's change, but also the actors are seeing that and seeing opportunities to, to, to use it.
0: Well, let's look at how things have ramped up, even in the last few months relating to China, where Five Eyes have condemned China. The Five Eyes intelligence grouping released a joint statement calling for China to immediately reinstate recently fired members of Hong Kong's legislature. It also said the new rules, uh, the changes, appear to be a concerted campaign to silence critical voices. A China foreign ministry spokesperson responded, saying, quote, It doesn't matter whether they have five eyes or ten if they dare to damage China's sovereignty, security and development... They should be careful or their eyes will be plucked out. Here's Jason Young, director of the New Zealand Contemporary China Research Centre, explaining what's behind this.
1: This really follows on from uh, a couple of years of of, uh, protest, very long protest, then the national security law, uh, then the suspension of the democratic elections in the the Legislative Council, uh, and now we have moves from Beijing to limit the type of candidates that would be um, available within the legislature. So this seems like a very strong and enduring way of Beijing trying to make Hong Kong politics uh, fit more easily within the PRC system. And New Zealand does always have a choice as to, first of all, whether you say something about what China is doing or any other country. I do think the era, the period of quiet diplomacy is over. Governments need to be able to show their, their publics that they are actually willing to to stand up and say something and risk the, the costs that might come. China isn't just any other autocracy. It is one of the two most important countries in the world. It has a leadership position and, and I think obligations that come with that leadership. Some countries aren't worried about China's human rights record. That's very, very clear. But there are enough that are and I think given things like the UN, you know, human rights decoration and all sorts of elements of, of that international order that we, we think is important, China has obligations to those. And so what's been happening in Hong Kong, particularly in terms of the understandings that China signed into with the British um, for the 50-year period until 2049, China has really gone back on those undertakings. And what is happening in Hong Kong is not just important for Hong Kong, it also signals what China's approach might be as its power grows more broadly. But the question is, do you, do you raise that in, a, in, a, in your own statement? Do you raise that in a statement with Australia? Do you raise that in a statement with a broader group, or you can do the Five Eyes thing? I think it's kind of—I'm not sure that there's an ideal fit between Five Eyes, given its areas of, of focus and human rights issues and, and you know and democracy in Hong Kong. It, I can understand why New Zealand might want to have signed that document at that particular that statement at that particular time. One of the factors was that was that it's New Zealand's most important partner and, and ally you know, in Australia was under such pressure from China. And maybe, too, New Zealand was thinking about the future of the relationship, Biden's on the way, etc. What, what New Zealand doesn't want is a situation where there's an expectation anywhere, in Beijing or in Washington or in on Canberra, that any time there's, there's an in- interest somewhere in a Five Eyes statement on China or something else that New Zealand can be guaranteed will, will be part of that. And I think that's where Australia kind of got to in its relationship with the US in terms of this tussle with China. And mm. I think that's. That's where we want to we want to avoid that
0: I know but have we gone too far now I mean it is interesting who's commenting on this Helen Clark recently told uh, RNC's yes. guy on Espina for his podcast series the service that New Zealand's independence had slipped since joining the alliance I think you're as independent as you want to be uh, I consider we we were independent in in my time uh, I sense there's been a bit of slippage since then, frankly. Slippage? Why? Oh, just drawn in a lot closer. I think that's my impression. If when you make a representation or a case or advocate for something in the international system and you are seen as a mouthpiece, well, it will be treated accordingly. So New Zealand being seen to have integrity for positions that it's thought out itself and nobody has leaned on it to say certain things is extremely important to me. How much is that a problem that we are losing our independence
1: it's a good question, and you know, I could come back with an academic response and say, Look, it depends on how you define independence. Do you define independence? Is that code for a bit of distance from the United States in particular? Or does that actually mean that New Zealand simply gets to make up its mind on its own without pressure from others, and therefore, if it wants to sign a Five Eyes statement, it will do so? It's a bit like your question, you know, this point about the, the quiet evolution of Five Eyes. There's not one single step, it's more like a series of very small steps. We're never quite sure which one of these steps itself is is the crucial one, but they add up to something more important. And if we go back to, for example, New Zealand-China relations more generally, outside of the Five Eyes dimension, which is actually, in a sense, I think quite a small part of it, to be perfectly honest, there have been a series of New Zealand statements on China, whether it's on South China Sea, whether it's on uh, China's actions against New Zealand-based organisations in the cyber area, whether it's on human rights, or whether it's um, things that Mr Peters used to say but not say about China in the South Pacific, there's been an accumulation of them. And it started actually before John Key left office. And then with Winston Peters and Jacinda Ardern, that really has ha- accelerated. But it's, it's hard to, to say, you know, if, if you're going to say, if we have, you know, um, lost some elements of that autonomy, and I think it's particularly autonomy from the U.S., what was the moment that that happened? It's not like you can go back and say it's like 1984, 85, where at that moment you know that meeting happened and the Americans said we, we came as allies and we left as friends. There's no, you know, there's, there's not you know a single trigger. It's a series of things, and you see that, for example, China in its you know China issued this or leaked this dossier about four, or list about 14 things that was unhappy with, with with Australia about. Which one of those has really really annoyed China, mm. or is this just more that there's a list that China has in its back pocket that's growing and they pull it out when they want to say we want to actually create a bit of water a bit of clear distance between america and australia because that's clearly partly what they're trying to do here they're trying to move australia away and mr morrison is saying we want the americans and the chinese to calm down the rhetoric a bit we hope that mr biden will 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 will, will achieve part of that and that's one way of australia saying we would like to take a little bit of our foot off the China pedal here. We want to be a little softer, but we need Washington to help us because otherwise they're going to tell us that we're appeasing and we don't want to do that. So that's, I think, where Mr. Morrison is seeking to go here.
0: And so where does that leave New Zealand? Matthew Houghton and The Herald are saying that the relationship with China is becoming dangerously frosty for New Zealand?
1: I'm not sure it's sort of super frosty and about to kind of ice over, but I do think it's harder to find a way for New Zealand and China to talk about what are the elements of the partnership we have, along with these areas of, of increased uh, difference. And clearly, the, the list of differences between New Zealand and China, the areas where New Zealand is now more willing to talk about, for example, where there is an acknowledgement of difference, that list has, has grown. It's not as big as the Australian one, but it is there. And so if China wanted to say at some point, well look, let's let's make a little bit of an example of New Zealand, I'm not sure they're necessarily gonna do that, but if they wanted to do that, there are some things that they could they could list. And I think one of the real challenges here is what pushes China's buttons? What are the things where we are risking uh, the future of aspects of that relationship? That's a hard question to ask. But it doesn't mean that you suddenly say all of them could be problematic, therefore we can't say anything. That's that's unsustainable. Quiet diplomacy is over. By the same token, every time there's an opportunity to, to bash China, do we really want to be part of it? And secondly, if there is an opportunity to be critical, every time do we really want to be part of this sort of Western democracies community? So finding other partners and particularly the Five Eyes community, finding other partners in that sense becomes important.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by Newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Rangi Poik engineered this episode. Alexia Russell was the producer, and thanks to Robert Asen, wa.